Let's have an added word of prayer. Father in heaven, we know that we prayed to you before during this service. But Lord, as we open up your word, we recognize the need for the Holy Spirit's guidance. As we think of how you've become real to each one of us in some way, or we, or we wouldn't be sitting here, we trust that you can become even more real as we open up your word, as we study, as we apply this to our lives. Send the Holy Spirit to guide and direct our thoughts towards heaven as we open up your word right now. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. That story of Ryan and Ray, I'm going to continue that. Because Ryan and Ray's grandfather for many years was praying for those two boys, their friends that were, they were hanging out with, family members who were far from Christ. And one time as Ray walked by his grandfather's bedroom one night, because he would stay the night over there for the weekends, and Grandpa would always bring the Bible out and read it, but oftentimes Ray would close, literally, put his fingers in his ear during the reading of the Scripture. But that one night after the Scriptures were closed, and he's walking by his grandfather's room, it's open just a crack. You know how sometimes you get curious? Well, he pauses there outside the door, and he hears his grandfather say his name. His grandfather's on his knees, praying for this grandson, Ray, who wants nothing to do with God at the time. Now, being a tough guy, you know, uh, someone who wants to not have anything to do with God and have his own way in life and make his own way, he, he just shrugs it off. But that prayer continues to echo because questions start surfacing. What does his grandfather really long for? His grandfather has peace with this God, and, and yet he's praying that Ray and Ryan and the rest of these young people will have that same peace with God. And you can shrug off a prayer all you want, but in a way it continues to echo in your mind, and that's what happened to Ray. What would happen, I wonder? What would happen? How would his grandfather feel? How would Ray feel if that prayer were answered and Ray would have that peace that his grandfather was on his knees praying for. And as I think of that prayer of that grandfather, I think that is merely an echo of a prayer that's been going on down through time, year after year, since this world began. It's a prayer that Jesus himself prayed. And we're going to look at here this morning, this idea of oneness, how God truly wants oneness, peace with each one of us. And he will go to extreme measures, at least humanly speaking, miraculous measures to attain it. As I look at the words of Jesus, true words of peace. There he was. We, some of us are familiar with his story. It's the, what we call the Last Supper. And there he is with the, his disciples. And Judas has left the room, left the building, if you will. And Jesus utters words of peace. It's almost like a a heavenly connection is established, and he launches off into some heavenly benediction or, or some connection that I hadn't quite heard before in the Gospel of John. Words that Judas missed are words that we need today. He says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Now Jesus begins this series of encouraging statements. 
peaceful statements to his disciples and things that will, statements that will get them through things that they are soon to face. And he says, when you desert me, don't worry. I'm still connected with the Father. I'm not alone. Don't we all long for those words? Sometimes we feel deep down inside alone, and yet Jesus' own statement here, he has a connection with the Father that he says, yes, I, I recognize physically I am alone, but I'm connected. I'm not alone. Don't worry about me. It's not giving us an excuse to ignore those who are alone. It's just saying, Jesus is saying, I have a source. I have a source that I've tapped into. It gives me true peace. And he goes on, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Beautiful word. Kind of goes back to this idea of shalom in the Old Testament. No wonder that Jesus uses that. He's the prince of peace. But this idea of quietness, rest, stillness. In Jesus you can have stillness, peace, rest, true rest. When things around you are not going so good. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. We like this idea of overcoming. A lot of times we talk about it, but you know what empowers you to overcome? This text says it's the peace that empowers you to overcome. And if you don't have peace with God, you can try all you want. But deep down inside, as you get down to, especially the book of Revelation, and you get into Jacob's time of trouble, we talk about that. If you don't have peace with God, you're going to be wondering where you're at with God. And more than likely, as we look at the text of Revelation, many will fall away. And so you have to have that peace with God. Take heart, I've overcome the world, he says. So I want to overcome, don't you? But do we want this peace, this oneness with him that he's talking about. You know, the world has all kinds of brands of oneness, coming together for this and coming together for that. And this political guy figure met with this religious figure over there. And this religious figure met with this one for world peace, right? But what deep down inside are they looking for? They're looking for a fountain that only Jesus can supply. That's what we truly are longing for when we long for this peace, this solitude with God. And I think of oneness and peace together in that text. And you know, I don't know what you think of when you think of a peaceful setting. For me, uh, it's besides some kind of body of water. It's, uh, I was, we were at Brandy Creek Falls yesterday, and I remember I, I got across the, the creek there, which had a little log you could jump across. Anyway, get across over there, and, and I get up right to the base of the falls there, and this mist is just spraying on me. And it's not a huge pool of water in front of the falls directly. It's a nice deep pool, but not quite as as big as I wanted to be. I expected it to be this nice-sized swimming pool thing, you know? And I'm, I'm almost crazy enough to, to jump into something like that when it's ice cold. But there I am, standing in front of this waterfall, and deep down there's something that feels good about it. It's not just the fact that I'm having this wonderful fresh air and all of that. There's this sense as the water sits there and laps the shore, as this picture here shows. There I was by this lake, Trinity Lake, and the, the water's just gently hitting the shore. And then it eventually goes still. What feeling do you have when that happens? No, nope, it's just quiet. There's no airplane in the sky. There's, there's a few clouds, a blue sky up there. There's the hills in the background. There's the smell of the pine trees. There's just stillness. And yet, we love that so much, and God is saying, I have something more than that. 
physically, you can feel that all you want, but spiritually, do you have this oneness, this peace with me? Jesus' last prayer is beautiful. He says, as he goes on, verse 3, when Jesus had spoken these words, what were the words? Words of peace, saying you can have oneness, you can have peace. When he had spoken those words, then he utters a prayer. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. What's his goal? To give you eternal life. And don't come at me with Ephesians and say some are picked and chosen and all of that. We'll get into Ephesians later on. It's pretty clear that he has had a plan since before the world fell to give eternal life to us in spite of our fall. And what is eternal life? This is eternal life that they might, in the Greek. This is a subjunctive of possibility. It's this idea that heaven has poured all of its resources out there for, for it to happen, but still, the choice is yours. I mean, who would be in that might category. Oh, I guess I might want eternal life. That they may, might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Not just knowing, knowledge-wise, but knowing that their hearts are right, knowing deep down that there is a peace between them and God. We used this word a while back in our Sabbath school lesson about atonement, at one but really what it comes down to is there is a peace between the two parties. Do you have the peace that Jesus is talking about? John 17, verse 4 says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This peace he's leaving with them has echoed down from the beginning of the world to Jesus' time. It's echoed down from there, all the way down through the stories of the Bible, down to the stories of Ryan and Ray, and down to your story today. Some call it echoes of eternity. Jesus had that glory with God before the world began. This oneness existed, echoes down to us. And then Jesus launches and says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. I mean, the world's looking for peace in all kinds of ways. I'm praying for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. We all know Revelation 3 talks about a knocking situation where Jesus has to knock on the door of his church to get in. It's always been the case where he's knocked on hearts to get in. You have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son of God, you don't have life. Do you have the Son? Are you an answer to this prayer of Jesus? He says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. It's like he looks down and he notices, he knows everything we're going to go through from his time forward. I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, it's a numeral, even as we, plural, are one. So how many people are we talking about here? You've got you, he's talking about his disciples, right? At least one category there, plus Jesus, plus the Father. It, it, we don't have the Holy Spirit being mentioned directly here yet, but one plus one plus one equals one. 
And so we put that up there, a simple math equation. My kids have been wrestling with me with this for a while now. We have this song that we sing on Friday nights, and it talks about one plus one plus one equals. And at first, one of my boys would shout out, three. But then we began talking about it. And just as we are one family, my, I'm the father, my wife is there, we are, my children are there, we are one family. Yet, we find all kinds of human ways of illustrating this. We find the same type of equation here. One plus one plus one equals one. This oneness concept, if you go back to Genesis, you will trace it all the way down time and time again in the Bible. That is God's desire for us individually, as a church, as families. And you will find in the book of Genesis and onward, you will find that there is man's way of accomplishing that. Tower of Babel. You've got, uh, you find the sons of men being mentioned, how they try to intermingle with God's people. You find this, these human efforts to attain this. But Jesus is clear. This oneness comes from him. What gets in the way of it? Well, he tells us in John 17, 12, Well, I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, we know what, how Jesus reached out to that one over and over again, all the way down to the point where he washes that guy's feet, showing him how the full extent of his love, he would lower himself to the lowest level to reach him. But he did not respond in the positive. In verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one or the diseased one or there's three translations up there you could have it. Calamity, the one who brings warfare, or the one who brings malicious talk. Keep them from that one. So if that's the one we have to be kept from, then the undoing of oneness between us and God is going to result from some form of spiritual disease. Something is going to happen in our relationship with God, in our devotions, and our, spirit, our, our spiritual disciplines focusing on God. Something's going to happen in our families to shatter the oneness. It's going to be a disease, a spiritual disease, progressing to the point where if Satan had his way, God wouldn't be leading us anymore. We'd be in another type of oneness, a counterfeit. That's why Revelation, you've got like what we call the false trinity, and you've got those three powers there in Revelation. There's no... There's really no word trinity in the Bible. We don't find it, but we find the concept of this threeness. And Satan has his counterfeit all the way down to the end. So I want this one here. I don't want to be part of that malicious one. But a question I asked when I read that, I thought, I thought to myself, do we truly know what oneness is if we're diseased? We'd have to be healed then. We'd have to have a connection with God then We'd have to somehow have Jesus in us to truly recognize what oneness is. And that's why we could talk about all kinds of things here at Anderson. But if you're not connected with God, if you're not at peace with God, if you don't know that you would have eternal life, might as well just close up the building. Because this is life eternal, that they may know you. Who? Supposed to, we're supposed to be knowing God. So how do we get the disease? This is, this is review for a lot of you. 
We know this. There was war in heaven. Michael's angels fought. It you know, talks about this whole progression, how, how they did not prevail. And what happens? They're expelled, just like what happened in the Garden of Eden. That eventually progressed down to here, and they're expelled from the garden. At some point, unfortunately, heaven deals with it that way, quarantines the disease, tries to, at least as I read my scriptures, Job chapter 1 even has this fallen being able to come to a council meeting, which means God is still and probably in some way reaching out to this guy. It spreads to our world. And now we have our FBI sheet for our kids. All right, young people, I'm going to leave it up there for a few moments. Isaiah 14, 12 to 16. That's the one you're going to mark down on your FBI sheet. So young people, you see it says FBI, and it has a blank for you to write it down. This one here that I'm going to look up, it'll take me a few moments to look it up. And if at the end of me reading it, you still don't have it marked down, just uh, Mitchell shout something out, you know? Say, hey, wait. All right? So Isaiah chapter 14. And I've heard all kinds of things about this text. Yeah, we know that as we look at this text, it does talk about Babylon. But as we go down to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn, or Lucifer. You have been cast down to the earth. You, have, you who once lay low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the uttermost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. Ancient Near Eastern literature records that, that they oftentimes saw angelic or powerful beings from heaven as clouds, okay? And we shouldn't surprise us then if Jesus says, I'm coming with clouds. I mean, so it's, a, it's synonymous with the angels. So he wants to be not just above them, but he wants to receive worship from them. I will make myself like the most high, but you are brought down to the grave, it says, to the depths of the pit. So this is describing a shining one. We know Babylon did shine in its glory, but as we look at this text here, the king of Babylon was in no way going to be coming above the angels, and, and yes, he may have accepted worship, Daniel chapter 3, but this is talking about a deeper symptom. Behind all of that is this shining one who fought with heaven. Our young people, do we have that text marked down on our FBI sheets? All right, write down just the first one, Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 16. So this shows us the disease didn't originate here. It originated before our world began. That's why Jesus says this peace was before the world began. He was offering it even when war had already begun. We oftentimes think of God as being the one who comes as a warrior. Daniel 10 describes him coming with burnished bronze and eyes of fire. Well, that was because he was going against the forces of evil. But in that same place, it describes him coming to his friend Daniel, looking like a man and saying, peace be with you. God offers peace, whereas Satan does not. All right, I'm going to move on now. Ezekiel 28 this is the methodology in the warfare. You look at Ezekiel 28. It says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. It's kind of like Revelation where you've got symbols and, and co-language and all of this. And, and yes, he's talking about the king of, Cyrus, uh, king of Tyrus, but he's also talking about 
a secondary meaning. Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealed up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were beautiful. You were in Eden, in the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, your pipes. And we have Davidson and others who comment on this. And this is talking about your vocal cords. I mean, this guy had a voice. Beautiful voice. It was prepared in you in the day that you were created. Who is this talking about? Someone who was right there in the Eden. Someone who was on the holy mountain of God. Someone who in verse 15 was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in you. So, what disease happened to Lucifer? We can get into Lucifer Chronicles and try to guess and all of that. And I'm not going to sit there and say why it all happened in the beginning. Because, you know what? Deuteronomy 29 talks about there are some secret things of God that we just don't know about. But I do know something else from the text. It talks about the iniquity. It goes on, describes how, how he's going to be destroyed by God. Because of his brightness, he was cast to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that thou may beho- they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities. Uh, our Old Testament scholars now are saying, you know what? He has his own form of worship. He has his own system set up. But why? What was his iniquities? By your traffic. Recula, which is this idea of someone trading something for something else. We also get the word gossip from that. You don't know anything about gossip, do you? I don't know anything about gossip, do I? It's like one of those prayer requests that you pray for somebody, right? And, and really should have stuck in your closet, your secret place. But there you are praying this prayer, God help so and so. You know, they really need such and such, right? And you just lay everything out there. Or, Lord, you know they have a critical spirit. I don't have that same spirit, but I know they do, and they need your mercy. Doesn't that sound so good? We don't stand there and say, Lord, I'm not like this one, do we? Uh, But we do. We trade things, don't we? Instead of going and talking to that person, we go and, and we trade that information to somebody else for something juicy, something good that we think, ooh, this is another piece of information here. And the next thing you know, we're stirring up all kinds of firestorms that we never even thought. We, how did we ever get here? It's because that's how warfare begins. Don't you notice that? That's what's going on in the, in the news. It's just a whole bunch of words, isn't it? It's one piece of propaganda or another piece of propaganda, one person's spin on truth or another person's, and each side's taking one thing or another, and then you don't know who to believe. Wars begin with words, oftentimes. Look in the book of James. And so I don't want to be someone who goes about sharing prayer requests or things about other people because that's what happened here. That was one of the first symptoms. Besides him thinking he was superior, then the outward thing happened. Something happened inside of him, and then outwardly the words came out. It shouldn't surprise us. Jesus says, out of the heart comes the words, right? So that's what begins to happen. Who is he tearing down? He's not tearing himself down. He's not tearing down his big group of buddy angels there that he's going with him. He's tearing down the opposing side. And so that means a battle line has been drawn spiritually, and now he's attacking, attacking. Attacking who? The God of the universe. Easiest way to undo somebody is undo what they stand for. Begins to attack his law, begins to attack his character, and God says at a certain point, enough. That's where Revelation 12 comes in. And so what's the methodology? 
Well, Isaiah 14, pride over his appearance, his abilities. Eventually, that disease spreads, and he begins to slander and tear down God and the people who look like God. And then we get to Job chapter 1, and he begins to even accuse and pursue people physically, going after them. And so as I look at that, the Word of God is like a mirror. I say, Lord, this is an undoing of your oneness. This is not an answer to the prayer of Jesus. And while this exists, true unity, true oneness, true purpose and mission will not exist in your church. It won't exist in your home. It won't exist in your community when this type of behavior takes place. Which means if this is happening, you have to ask yourself, what can I do to change it then? What can I do to change that method. Well, God could have said, well, I'm not going to create the world. That's how I can put an end to it. But then Lucifer would have been in control, right? We know this whole argument. Or create the world and risk losing it. We always like cut and dry, this or that, right? What would God do, though, if he truly valued choice? Totally eliminate the guy. And his rumors are buried with him. Jesus reveals what he would do right there in his prayer. Jesus would come in the flesh, that prayer that echoed down through time would become a reality, and then people would respond and be changed and be an answer to that prayer, one person at a time. And so he makes our world. We know this whole text. We'll look at it more next time. God makes it. The Spirit's there. It says, let us make man in our image. And then we find the Lord God coming down and forming the man of the dust. And Judaism tried to explain this with a plural of majesty type language. But it really is not adequate. And you can't go off telling me that somehow all these plurals about God are just stuck in there later on. Because the Dead Sea Scrolls were there at the time of Jesus. And we find that they attest to every single book of the Old Testament, uh, especially finding find in the book of Isaiah, a lot of reference to that. And so we've learned a lot since then. And one of the things that we do as Seventh-day Adventists is we review our beliefs. And one of our beliefs is that there is one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a unity of three co-eternal persons. We don't understand it all, but he's immortal, all-powerful, all-knowing, above all, ever-present. He's infinite beyond human comprehension, yet known through his self-revelation. He has shown himself to us. He's forever worthy of worship, adoration, and service by the whole creation and so this type of belief, this oneness was shattered in heaven. It was broken. It came here. But we can choose to believe that it can happen again for each one of us. Jesus' prayer for unity, that unity that exists in the Godhead, can exist in our hearts, in our homes, in our churches, in our communities. So it is for us. And if you don't think it's for us, look at what Jesus says. I do not, do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Oh, imagine that. He would even share that glory with us. I have a hard time someone saying a nice sermon. I don't, I, it just ugh, doesn't feel natural to accept any praise. But yet he says something would happen there that they may be one, even as we are one. And here's the clincher. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, 
so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. We have to have that connection with God. If you want to talk about perfection, that word there, tell us, it's the same thing that he says, be perfect. And what is that talking about? It's talking about the end of a race, that somehow you reach the finish line, and at the end of your life, at the end of the day, at the end of the world, whatever comes, that you are still connected and one with God. And so this is for us, because he says that those who believe in me through their word, the ones that will be following him, and we are sitting here today, and we have those words, and so this is Jesus praying for you and praying for me. It's more than just walking by heaven's door and noticing and open a crack and hearing them utter your name. It's heaven saying over and over again, we want all of them to be saved. And so I and them, that same phrase there, and he doesn't look down on us. Look at the thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. In his infinite wisdom and love, he sees man's possibilities, the height to which he may attain. We, in that oneness, will continue to learn. In that oneness, we will continue to grow and become more like Jesus. And so, that's why Paul says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. You want to have a test? You want to see and compare yourselves? Don't compare yourselves to one another. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves? If you don't know yourself, you don't really know who you are. Talk to me, talk to one of our elders. Let's sit down and begin to explore what that really looks like. You are a child of God by faith. Do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you have already been disqualified? Do you not know that Jesus is in you? If you don't, then why not know that? And if you do, then why not continue to maintain that connection? Because as I look at the Trinity, there's our heart, if you want some kind of finite illustration, and then Jesus says, we will pretty much be in you. That's how you have peace with God. Seems simple. You know you have it, and you know you don't have it. If you don't have it, 1 John chapter 5 says that you can know that you have eternal life. You can know it. Not because you're flaunting it or somehow, oh, blessed assurance, and I'm going to do whatever I want. No. It's peace with God. Do you have it or not? Do you have oneness or not? And so the question is, will you and I be an answer to his prayer? He wants oneness with us. Will you and I allow him in? Because that prayer is echoing down. You look at this picture here. Looks like a parking lot, doesn't it? Right? There's houses nearby. If you were to cut this piece of the building off right here, take out these, this pavement here, then you would have the story of Ryan and Ray unfolding week after week at prayer meetings. The grandfather goes to prayer meeting. Gary Jones goes to the prayer meeting. And if you want to figure out the rest of Ray's name and Ryan's name, the, Ryan is Marion, Marion, my brother, twin brother, and Ray is Murray, Murray Miller, okay? So I just cut off the end and said it could be about me or something, all right? So what's happening every week at prayer meeting? They're praying for these two boys to unite their hearts with heaven. That something would change and they would have a desire for something more. That they wouldn't look for peace with their friends or with some drugs or with some crime or with some activities outside. 
of light in the darkness. And you can imagine a grandfather coming to prayer meeting and just in tears saying, I have a request, and he couldn't utter what it was. And they said, you need to tell us what it is, and uh, we're not just going to say, oh, I got a silent request here. He said, it's my grandsons. If something doesn't happen, I feel like they're going to be lost. And so he prays. Every week, he prays. And so from that year, that whole year of prayer meetings, a miracle begins to happen. Somebody got the broad idea of doing a, a, a Net 98 meeting with some Titanic brochures. And guess what? Marion, my twin brother, gets that thing from my grandfather. He starts coming to the, to the meetings. And another person comes, which is my dad back there. And they're coming to these meetings. And meanwhile, I'm in confinement for my own actions. And there I am receiving manuscripts from these meetings and I've already given my heart to Jesus and I'm, and I'm, I'm trying to figure all this out and here comes this, this manuscript that says that God's a forever friend and we can unite with him and have this friendship with God forever friendship and I'm just like, wow, this is amazing. I haven't heard it quite like that. I know what it, that I'm right, but this is amazing and I begin to study more and more and I leave that confinement and I come down this road here and I come into the front door of this church building here and there's Gary standing there. 1999. And there's a guy, another guy I did community service for standing there. And there's my grandfather over there. And there's this huge guy. Uh, I learned his name was Mike. And he comes up to me and, whoa, you know, gives me this huge bear hug. Welcome. We're glad you're here. And I go sit down into that prayer meeting. And somebody pulls me aside afterwards and says, you didn't have a chance. You just didn't have a chance. We were praying for you. And she tells me this whole story. My grandfather would, was more, humbly, more pious than that. He would never go into a lot of details because he was just praying in that closet year after year, and I knew he was still doing it. But if God answers a human prayer like that, brings two boys into oneness of faith with their grandfather, with people that they've grown to love, then surely he can do the same thing for each one of us. He can bring us into oneness with himself, true peace with himself. And then, one at a time, we go out into the world and extend that to others. Oneness. When is it going to all take place? Truly, it's not going to take place fully till he comes. But I can tell you right now, when he does come, I don't care what song it is we're going to sing. I'm going to sing holy to my Father. Holy, holy, holy. And so this is where we're going to go for the next few weeks. We're going to trace this oneness theme from the beginning of the Bible all the way down to the end of time. We're going to see Satan's deceptions too along the way. We're going to see lots of different stories emerging. But we're going to trace this oneness down through time and each time applying it to our own lives and saying, God, am I still at one with you in light of this story? So I invite you to sing with me our closing song. Unite your heart with God's heart. Holy, 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 number 73.
Father heaven, we trust that you can give us that perfect peace, that oneness with you, the oneness with the Trinity, so that when we leave this place, people will not see us, but they will see you living through us, touching each one. And through that process, we will answer the prayer of Jesus, that we all will be one. Give us that oneness in our own hearts, in our families, in our church, and in our world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>